Welcome to the Writer's Block Party Podcast with your hosts Meredith Bond and Prue Warren, where they discuss every aspect of a writer's life, from the craft of writing and editing, through publishing and marketing, and finally into building a global publishing empire. Here is Mary and Prue. Welcome to the Writer's Block Party Podcast. I'm Prue Warren, representing all authors who hope to one day be published. And thankfully, I'm here with my counterpart. Hi, I'm Meredith Bond. I am published. <laughs> Repeatedly. And actually, you're published too, Prue, but published. with one book. So you're one a newbie. Book. That's right. That's right. And I think, <laughs> I think given how, how much I'm still learning all the time, I'm pretty sure having one book published really does mean newbie. I think this feeling of, I'm not quite sure what I'm doing, it's going to last for a little while now. <laughs> oh, no, sweetheart. It's going to last you for the rest of your life. I have published, what, 25-some books now? I still don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> yes, you do. You better, because we're all following you through the fog. But it, Oh, but no. That fact. Oh, no. No, no, don't follow me. Um <laughs> First of all, my first thought is it said that you can avoid um, age-related dementia or Alzheimer's or, or the fogginess of the brain if you perpetually challenge yourself to do new things. You can't exactly. just stay. Well, thankfully, apparently I'm never going to be set in a rut on writing these romances. So <laughs> yay, yay for me and my idiotic ageness. Um, okay, the fact that you have published all these books it leads into the discussion you and I were having just before we hit record, which is uh, because last week we talked about hooks at the end of chapters. I went through and looked at my current book that I'm working on and discovered that every single chapter I had written had tidily and neatly ended at the conclusion of the thought. It practically said, go to sleep, you've got a meeting tomorrow. I mean, it could not, <laughs> it could not have been easier to turn away from the book. And you said that you don't write your books in chapters. No, I don't. Explain. I write themes. And yes, every theme ends very, usually pretty tidily. I mean, I, I frequently end, as they say in media res, in the middle of things. Right. Um, but it's after the goal of the scene has been completed, right? Okay. So I, I have a goal for every scene. There's a conflict. There's a turning point. There's all of this wonderful stuff. The scene happens, and that's the end of the scene, right? Okay. So <laughs> my I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop. Then what? <laughs> so my book is lots of scenes. It it's the complete story. It's a a, a through line, right, of the whole book. But I don't have chapters. I have not yet broken it up into chapters. What I do after I'm completely done writing the entire book, I actually go through and read it and make a list of all of the scenes, what happens, and how many words the scene is. I then put in chapter breaks at times in the middle, usually in the middle of a scene so that 
the reader will get to the end of the chapter, but they won't be at the end of the scene. So they have to continue reading to get to the end of the scene. The end of the scene comes in the middle of a chapter, so they can't stop reading. So they continue on. Okay. <laughs> I, I think this is very clever of you. I am writing and have been writing in alternating viewpoints. I'm doing one chapter him, one chapter her, one chapter him, one chapter her. Yep. So, and you do as well, don't you? You've got. Um, it's not perfectly him, her, him, her, him, her. Sometimes it's him, him, her, 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 him, him, her, him, her, him, you know. So I'm I'm being too anal retentive in the way I'm setting up my chapters by being rigid in every time he has a chapter, she has to have a chapter. So first of all, that's being rigid. When you set your chapter breaks, you're breaking in the middle of her scene. Mm -hmm. Do you allow the chapter to switch to his point of view? halfway through or something how do you switch points of view at the end of the chapter or at the end of the scene at the end of the scene so you could have a chapter that begins in her point of view and ends in his yes mm -hmm. <laughs> because i what I'm, ha <laughs> I'm having right the clouds are parting and like renaissance sunbeams are coming illuminating the landscape like the finger of god <laughs> really that's interesting all right so so now I am taking a piece of paper to write this down because maybe I haven't written boring hooks. I just haven't identified where the hook should be. Chapter breaks. I'm writing it down. Yeah. Chapter breaks are random. They don't have to be at the end of the scene. They can be wherever your little heart desires. I generally... Um, I do it by word count so that my chapters are approximately uh, 20, 25,000 words, uh, 2,500 words. Yeah, I was going to say 2,500. Um, yeah, that's about how long my chapters are, roughly, roughly. Yeah. And this, they just break very tidily. And then in the next chapter, you're, you're in the other person's point of view. Well, you, excuse me, I have the hiccups. You've given me, you've given me something to think about as usual. Chapter breaks. Yeah. I love it. I dig it. So as you're as you're writing along, you say to yourself, I'm at the end of a scene, but like I'm looking at my book and going, ooh, 25 chapters down of a plan, 35. I am, right, uh, five-sevenths of the way through my book. Huzzah. You don't mm -hmm. have that. You have one long, massive document. Yes. And But I do have that because I know where I am in my story arc. Yeah. Okay. So that's pretty fascinating. Okay. Uh, sorry. Sorry to have this uh, sort of brain explosion on the podcast. <laughs> sure, nobody else is interested, but boy, I think that's very interesting. You could build in your chapter breaks where the hook is best, not where the scene ends. Yes. For the last two weeks, we've been talking about hooks. Do you think I'm so stupid that I didn't get that point until this very minute? <laughs> no, not at all. Sorry. I didn't so, mention it. <laughs> okay, let's let's just take a moment for my brain to percolate through that. Uh, you and I had a very exciting moment yesterday when on the uh, Writer's Block Party podcast Discord channel server. What? What do you call server. it? The server. Uh, a fellow writer agreed to give us the lead to his book. Yes. Rich is a brave soul, and he has he is a romance writer who writes sports romance. Yes. And 
he has asked us, in fact, to read the beginning of his book. I asked him just to send the very first page. And so I have it, and I am going to read it aloud, and we're going to decide whether it's a good hook. I like sitting in judgment on people. That's a great <laughs> I think Rich probably knows, if he listens to the podcast, he knows that my opinion is not, I'm like, it, it's like a voting democracy here. We all get to vote, but I'm not 18 yet. So really, the only vote that matters is there. <laughs> <laughs> and I salute him for sending it in. And I can't wait to hear it. Okay, here it is. Walter Innes sat in front of the TV camera and tried not to rub his nose. Oh, that's a great first sentence. I'm sorry. Really good I'm stopping me. right there. First sentence. Fantastic. I love it. A plus. <laughs> okay. <laughs> sorry. Continuing on. <laughs> this damn cold nagged at him for the past week. How the hell was he supposed to get anything done while coughing up a lung and sneezing his full head off? And it had kept him home for two whole days. The rest did help. And he came back stronger, if not 100%. But then Paul died. At this point, it wasn't a shock. It had been over a month since the car crash that had put him in a coma. And if Vegas had put any odds on his survival, they'd have been long ones. Once the docs had made it clear he wouldn't wake up, the family did the only thing they could do. Two days later, Channel 4 wanted Walter for a special report on Paul to run tomorrow, the day of his funeral. Oh. They were insistent. Walter, oh my God. I know. They were insistent. So against his better judgment, Walter plopped down in his office chair before the spotlight and let the makeup man splatter his face with a white puffball, with a puffball, while Walter twitched his nose and held back a sneeze. Then the reporter, not one of the usuals on the sports beat, stuck her microphone under his nose, which wasn't running now, thank the Lord. And he lied about how great it was to work with the Boston Braves under Paul Vandenberg. Yeah, Paul gave me the general manager position three and a half years ago, said Walter. And like I always tell people, he did not have to do that. That at least was the truth. After nine years as a ball player and eight more as a scout, he had built up a rep as someone with a noggin for the new money ball method of evaluating talent. And he was fast tracked to the front office of the Braves as an assistant to that waste of space, Frank Morrison. When he outlived his usefulness, Paul showed him the door and installed Walter in his place. I'm reading on. I mean, I think <laughs> that's a pretty good hook. That's a pretty good hook. That is. I'm in, I am so interested. Oh, I'm totally interested. I want to know exactly how much of an asshole Paul was. Right, right. And how and how Walter is handling this interview, being gracious with a horrible cold and sort of hating Paul, and Paul's dead, and you have to feel horrible about that. And the Vegas odds line is so good for anybody in the sports world. It was such a good trigger who this guy was. Yeah. I, Rich, keep going, man. Keep going. And we'd like a page two, please, now. <laughs> my only question, well, my only question, a lot of questions, is the reporter who stuck her cam, her, her microphone under his nose, is that our love interest? Is that where we're going to, is this her, the lady? 
I mean, I'm assuming it's male, female. Yeah, we don't know. I know a lot about Walter in one page. Yeah, that was good. Rich, you did a good job. And kudos to you for sending it in to us to read aloud. No doubt. That's a brave man. That's a yes. brave man. Absolutely. But would we enjoy it if other people did the same? Oh, yes, we would. Oh, yes, we would. Yes, we would. <laughs> ha, ha, ha. We may be opening a floodgates, but I don't care. <laughs> oh, I, I would love that. Read one each week and say, you suck. <laughs> we would never say you suck. No. no. Even ugly babies are told they're beautiful babies. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, actually, Mary, this really does lead into what we were supposed to be talking about today, which is critiques. Yes. So I'm sure that because you're organized and, and very thoughtful, you have a plan for what we want to talk about in critiques. But this is a really good example because if Rich hadn't sent in a good, if, if his lead wasn't particularly gripping, you would never have lied to him. You never would have said, uh, that's it, go back, don't quit your day job. Well, I would say don't quit your day job anyway, because writing is not a very lucrative career. However, (laughs) however, critiquing, let's say someone sends in their their hook, their lead. And the answer is there's work to be done here. Right. But see, that's how you say it. Uh huh. I see. I see. So actually, I learned something Really, really important. Um, The last time I had a coaching client who fired me, he'd fired me because I was too harsh in my criticism. Wow. Um, I'm still trying to figure out why he hired me to begin with, because he clearly didn't want to hear any criticism. But that being said, I learned a really good lesson from him, which was how I needed to structure my criticism. And basically, it's the hamburger method. <laughs> you have a name for it. Okay, go ahead. I'm ready. The hamburger method is you start off with praise. This was really great. I am so honored that you have allowed me to read your work. Yeah, yeah. Then you have a short paragraph with some criticism. Perhaps you need to consider working on X a little bit more. And then you conclude with heaps more praise. (laughs) So that when they take away is, I did a great job. And then they think back, but wait, there was something that she said in there that needed some work. Mm -hmm. But they're still feeling good about themselves. Okay, okay. I think you're brilliant. I was thinking that I did not have an awful lot to bring to this conversation since I'm still learning myself how to receive criticism, how to keep my ears open. But I think I do actually have something to say about that because I was a fundraising copywriter for hire for 25 years. Mm -hmm. And I learned quickly that the people I worked best with were the ones who began with, wow, this is a great start. Right. Whether it was or not. The care and feeding of the creative brain requires at least acknowledgement of the work that's been done. 
Yes, absolutely, absolutely. So, so you're I, I, what I'm what I'm getting is a spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down. Mm-hmm. Yes, and if there are lots of issues that you feel need to be addressed, only address them one at a time. Okay, so with okay. a lot of sugar in between. <laughs> yeah, but I mean the amount of time required for that implies. Okay. Oh God, my brain is, I'm like spinning into 15,000 different questions. If I send you a book that has multiple issues, right? Uh, you're not going to say to me, you have multiple issues. You're going to say, work on this, and then we'll talk. And then you're going to say, okay, now work on this, and then we'll talk. And then work on this, and then we'll talk. Sooner or later, my frustrations must overcome my ability to keep my ears open. Um. No, because in between my requests for you to work on something else is you have done such a fantastic job fixing that. Clearly, you really know your characters and your plot is chugging along fantastically. And this is really working really so well. I'm. This is going to be a fantastic book. Would you mind looking, taking a look at this other issue? And how long can you do that? How many times can you get an author to go back to their book another time? Um, I think that you could ask them to do it a number of times, like at least three or four. The thing is, is that (laughs) if there are a lot of issues that really need a lot of work, there's this great method that I learned in my coaching class, which is uh, the stoplight method of presenting criticism. So you present three different levels of criticism and all together, all in one boom. And so you give a red light, things that absolutely positively need to be changed. They're really, it's doing very badly. Yellow light, things that kind of need to be changed. It would be really nice if they were changed. You'll, the book will survive if they're not. And the green light, you do all of these things fantastically. So you're triaging your problems. Yes. And you do it in that order, right? You, you lay it out in that order, red, yellow, green, so that you're ending on a high note. Yeah. I like the ending on the high note part. <clears throat> I'm thinking about um, the, the second book, the sequel to Sin and the Peanut Butter Cup, I gave to at lovely Angela James, who was edited for me. Uh, she came back with what she saw as a significant issue. So I rewrote the book. Mm-hmm. And it made it better. It really did. It made it better. And then I gave it back to her and she came back with another critique that included a pretty significant issue that I had to address. So I rewrote the book a second time. And then she came back to me and said, you need to put this book on a shelf and wait a couple of years before you come back to it again, because you're just not quite ready to handle the issues that it's got. And I actually, I respect that because I am a novice, right? I am a beginner, but I wonder And I would not ask her because it would put her on the spot. I wonder if she knew that this was the upshot in the beginning. I mean, when you say to yourself, there are four stoplight issues here. There are four red lights. Mm -hmm. I will address one at a time until we get them all fixed. Is there any value in saying to someone, look, you've got four big issues here, but let's just work on them one at a time. Yes, there is. It depends on the person who you are critiquing. Some people don't take criticism very well. They want to, but then when you actually present it, 
they're hurt and shut down. Sure. Oh, sure. That's absolutely instinctive. Right. 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 No matter when I, when or how I've gotten criticism over the past 25 years as a professional writer, uh, I know that sometimes I need to wait a couple hours or maybe even 24 hours before I can turn around and go, okay, you're obviously an idiot, but that's an interesting point. I'd be willing to, right. It, it, it yes. can take time. So maybe a podcast on the subject of criticism also has to include how to receive criticism. Yes. Which is for some people really, really hard because they have confidence in themselves, which is wonderful. We should all have so much confidence in ourselves. Um, or, and or they have put their heart and soul into their work so that any criticism, even the most gentle criticism, is a personal Injury destruction of yep. their themselves. It, it's it's not saying, Prue, I don't like your work. It's saying, Prue, I don't like you. Right. You have an ugly baby. Right, right, right. Yeah. Right. And so that's really, really hard. Okay. I Here's what I think is the answer. And, and it's not a very good answer. I think that if I receive you have an ugly baby criticism, which no one has ever said. I mean, no one, no one worth their salt would ever say something so cruel. But what it boils down to when I first read it is you have an ugly baby. Mm -hmm. If it comes from a person whose opinion I respect, I can endure it more readily or I can get over the pain more readily. So um, I just think that like, if I get a bad criticism from someone, like there's someone who's written a review on Amazon of sin and the peanut butter cup, and it's not very positive. But mm -hmm. it's also really badly written. <laughs> I don't think to say, but it's really badly written. <laughs> Which makes me think it's a little easier to bear criticism, negative criticism from someone who I don't respect. If it's someone who knows their stuff and I, right. get, I get criticism, it stings more, but I can recover more rapidly. Yeah. And, and, and and try to keep an open mind, right? Because as soon as the criticism comes, my brain shuts down like vault doors. Exactly. Protect my psyche. How long it takes for me to get that vault doors back open again varies depending on who gave that criticism. Yeah. Yeah. So. And, and as much as we all want to believe that we can take criticism, yeah. it still hurts. Oh, meow. Yeah, it does. <laughs> yeah. No, it really does. I mean, for 25 years, people would send me back fundraising letters and say, no, you've completely missed the point. And I'm like, no, you've missed the point. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't understand at all. <laughs> it is hard to take criticism. It's very hard. And I think that writing a romance is different from writing a two sheet or four sheet fundraising letter because it's my soul this is my idea that I put on the page not your idea that you want me to make money off of not only that but these characters are an extension of you they come from your brain yes they are that's right that's right there's an aspect of me in everyone I write I'm sure that there is I mean I have written so many different characters, but I spend so much time in creating them and I make them as real 
and human as I can. And if somebody says, I didn't believe this character, (laughs) they weren't real to me, then yeah, I'm going to feel that. Or, you know, if they say their words aren't right, or what they did was bad and unbelievable, whatever it is. Then so is the dog paws? Yeah, sorry. The dog is scratching herself. <laughs> I, I like it. Okay, so uh, you want to toughen up in order to receive criticism, but you don't want to toughen up so much that you lose your joy in the creation. Oh, absolutely. So do you have any, I mean, I, it's funny because I thought when we began the podcast, that we were going to talk about how I would give criticism to someone else, but I'm finding it much more fascinating in how do I receive criticism? How do I hear it? So if you have any, if you have any words of wisdom or thoughts on how you keep your mind open and, and your heart willing to be beaten up a little bit, right? You, you're opening yourself up to the most tender part of you and saying, go ahead, take a hit. Yeah, it's really, really hard. Um, I think your stepping, your idea of stepping back is the key idea is to you because your gut reaction is to just shut down and say, no, they're right. They're an idiot. Right. right. But then after that 24 hour or 48 hour period, thinking more about it. Also, I try and remember that their criticism is not meant to hurt me. It is to make me better. And my goal as a writer is to write the best way I can, to write the best book I can. And so if somebody tells me that it sucks, I want to know why and how I can do better. I think that's right. Well, I think that's right. Well, I think that's right. It has to be... You have to be inspired to go back to it with an open heart. You take a break, realize that obviously you've asked an idiot to review your book. Yeah. Take a break, storm around the house, mutter, wait 24 hours, 48 hours, go back to it, and then see if you can't pluck the pearls from the mud. Right. Every time Angela James had me rewrite my book, it got better. Right. He was right. She continued to be right last one when she said stop and now I'm confused (laughs) but I'll tell you that criticism which I think I should probably go back and read what she sent me again because it really did derail me it really interfered with my uh emotional willingness right my ability to be open and this book that I'm working on now I think is suffering from that sting and I think to myself proudly, you know, I've been a fundraising copywriter for a quarter of a century. I can take criticism, no problem. Meow, you know, like, ouch, it, it's, it's kind of messed with my brain a little bit. So I'm not surprised. This is going to be my reminder to go back, read what she sent me and see if I haven't misinterpreted what she told me. That's a very good idea. I think yeah. it is too. I think it is too. I thought I could get over the pain of criticism in 24 to 48 hours, because that's what I've always done. Actually, but sometimes it takes longer. Oh God. It's been about three months now. The, uh, <laughs> the sting of getting critique. If you've been hired to write a fundraising letter for human rights watch, and they've come back and said, no, nope, that's wrong. That sting lasts for less than two hours because 
it wasn't my heart on the line. It was just my words on the line. Mm -hmm. That's much easier when it's your creation, when you've begun, it is, is, it is shattering and can take some time. Absolutely. I look forward to the day when I'm capable enough and, and understand my craft enough that critiques will never be soul shattering. Right. I mean, if you don't like character or if something didn't flow or I said it was nighttime and then the sun was blazing, that's all. (laughs) That's all easy. I want to get to the point where these big overarching critiques don't reroute my my little ship of state. So, yeah. But I mean, when I first started out writing, um, my husband read my books. He was my critique, my editor my critiquer, the person who was giving me his opinions. And he was brutally honest. And I value his opinion. I respect him. And I know that he knew what he was talking about because he's read a lot of romances and he's, he's very knowledgeable. And he gave me some critique that literally had me in tears. Oh, God. I was in tears and crying because it hurt. So bad what he said. Wow. And at that point, you know, honey, I'm going to hire someone else to do my critique for me. Because (laughs) it shattered me and I can't bear it to come at your hands. What did you do? I went away and I thought about it and I spilled my guts onto a page and I got all out, all the emotions out. And I came back and I knew that he was telling me this out of love. Because he wanted me to write the best book he, mm-hmm. I could. And he said, it's not all crap. It's just this part that's crap. Microcosm, it's not all crap is, is, is the heart of the re- my review fears. It's not all crap. It's not all crap. He said, you're a very good writer. You, you, can, you can write very well. It's just this part. That needs to be rewritten. And then we discussed it after I was able to hear what he was saying. Right. 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 Because those vault doors do slam shut. It takes a little while before you can. can, Yeah. 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 And I developed a thicker skin and I didn't take, try not to take things as personally when I get critiques. And yeah, it takes. It takes some time to learn how to accept critiques and to take it as the positive, constructive criticism in which it should be meant to be given. Right. <laughs> I mean, there are some people who just say it just to be cruel and, and those people you shouldn't listen to. But when it's meant to make you a better writer, then you should take it in that, in that way. It's not all crap. Sorry. <laughs> Okay, well, I think I think that you've definitely inspired me to go back and look at the criticisms that I've gotten, because time probably has made me misinterpret. So I'm going to go back and look at it, and I'll Good. let you know next week what yeah, I decide. Please do. Next week we have scheduled love scenes. Oh, <gasps> love scenes! Ooh. It's going to be very interesting to discuss love scenes with you because you write closed door romance Mm. and I'm open Mm -hmm. right I mean 
if you read your love scene, it would be very different from my love scene. And we might have to do a little warning that said, if you don't like the graphic, skip ahead five minutes. We'll, we'll figure it out next week. We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out next week. Uh, okay. Chapter breaks, criticism, and how much I want to read the rest of Rich's book. That's what I'm <laughs> thinking. Of. And I hope someone else will send us a, a, a story lead, a beginning. Yes. Do not hesitate to email us or to send us a note saying, I want you to read the beginning of my book on the podcast. We would dig it. Send it to prue at pruewarren.com. Or Mary at MeredithBunn.com. Or go to the writersblockpartypodcast.com and make your comment there because we're eyeballing you. Oh, absolutely. We're waiting for you to chat with us. Meredith, writers who want to join us on the Discord server? Again, should email us or message us on the website and say, I want to join. How do I do that? That's how Rich got in. That's how how Rich joined us because he's listened to the podcast. He's a member of the Insecure Writers Group, which I'm a member of. And he said, he emailed me and said, hey, Mayor, I want to join the Discord server. And guess what? Now he's a member of the Discord server and we chat almost every day. (laughs) Dig it. The Discord server has been really fun. It has an automatic feature where I can say, I can tell the robot in the Discord server. Janet. Janet. Start a sprint. And Janet will say, okay, what's your word count? And I say, okay, I'm starting a new chapter, foolishly, because I thought chapters were at the beginning of the scene. Start me at zero. And she goes, okay, go ahead. And then you write for 20 minutes, and she'll give you a little bing and say, ping, stop writing. She doesn't actually say anything. She says, time's up. Time's up. She And I tell her, and she says, how many words did you write? And And if you and I are doing it together, then I get to see how you did in 20 minutes and you get to see how I did in 20 minutes. And it's not, there's no competition, but there certainly is a lot of, look at you go. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a cool feature. And at first I thought the 20 minutes was an annoyingly short sprint, but I'm addicted to it now. And I can sprint by myself when I'm there late at night and you're sound asleep. I can sprint stone alone and still have this feeling that someone, even if it's just a robot is, is noting how I'm doing. That's very, it's great. I dig it. I dig it. And you, author, I think you should join us. And and may I admit to something terrible? Admit. admit. Because of our time difference, I have woken up in the morning and seen that you were sprinting. <laughs> really? <laughs> because it's midnight for you. It's 6 a.m. for me. <laughs> funny. That is funny. One of these days, I'm going to be I'm going to be on a real tear, and it'll be two in the morning, and you'll be like, "I'll finish my breakfast. Come on, let's get going." <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Meredith, we have rambled on. Discord server available to all authors who want to come along and play. And yes. your first chapter or your first page. Yes, first page. And keep your keep your heart willing and your mind open at criticism. Sounds good. And next week, love scenes. All right. (laughs) Bye. That's it for the Writer's Block Party this week. 
We don't want you getting so drunk on knowledge that you can't drive your laptop safely. But next week we'll be here before you know it, so check out the website at thewritersblockpartypodcast.com. One word. That's where you can find our archive of past podcasts and a place where you can get in touch with Mary and Prue or ask questions for the next podcast. Write with joy, friends, and see you next week. Thank you.